Hello and welcome to another Kangaroo English Daily Digest. My name is Christian and today is Monday, the best day of the week. <laughs> um, I have a lot of things I want to talk about today, so again, I'm going to get straight into it. But before I start, I just want to say that if you enjoy this podcast and you want to support free English education, then you can become my patron at Patreon. You'll find a link to that and my Instagram, Facebook group, YouTube channel, etc. on my website at kangrooenglish.com. Um, so in the previous Daily Digest on Friday, I spoke about some research that showed the effect of passive learning. So one of them talked about how you could learn passively from watching television with subtitles. And uh, so your the subtitles are in your native language and the television is in English. And also another paper which showed that adults who listened to Chinese tones um, passively then performed better during brain scans than people who did not. And <laughs> I, I received a lot of messages and, and comments about those videos saying, hey, Christian, isn't this kind of the opposite of everything you've been talking about? Because you're always telling us to work really hard and to concentrate and to pay attention. And these things are the opposite. They... They're about doing nothing. In fact, the, the title of my last podcast was Learn English by Doing Nothing. Now, I, I just want to, to say that there's a, there's a very good reason that I talk about this research. And I'm going to explain why at the end of this podcast. But the, the important thing to, to realize is that there's no substitute for actually doing the hard work. So yes, there is an effect that you can see on a brain scan, but common sense tells us that this passive learning is no substitute for putting in the hard work. The passive learning will never replace conversation and, and all of those really difficult things. And again, you're probably thinking, well, why are you telling us? Well, again, I'll, I'll explain at the end of this podcast. Um, now, another thing that, that I mentioned at the end of the previous podcast was some work by a guy called Ben Ambridge from the University of Liverpool. And it showed, it talks about a, a radically different way that children learn a language compared to what, compared to the way that we think that children learn a language. And... <laughs> Maybe you're sick and tired of hearing me talk about, about the science of children learning language, but I think the reason it's really important to look at the science there is because we know that children are super successful at language learning. And if we can understand better why they're so good at it, then we can take those lessons and we can apply them to adult learning. Um... Because I think we can do better as adults. I, you know, clearly we are smarter than children. I, I hope that you feel like you're smarter than children. 
And and again, that, that could be part of the problem is that you're smarter. But imagine what we can do as adult learners if we can apply some of those lessons from children to, to our study. So I want to talk about this paper. So it's called Against Stored, Abstra- uh, Against Stored Abstractions, a Radical Exemplar Model of Language Acquisition. So first, we need to talk a little bit about how most adults learn a language and therefore how most adults think that children learn a language. So what how adults normally study is they 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 memorize vocabulary so they they look at a word and then they learn what that word means and maybe they learn it with a with a flashcard with a picture or by reading it in context or or maybe even with a uh, like a flashcard program like with anki or some other type of spaced repetition and so we store this vocabulary and then when we have all this vocabulary so it could be nouns or verbs or adjectives then what we do is we place those words in the correct slot. So we we learn the grammar, like we learn that that first we have a subject and then a verb and then an object. And so we take one of those words that we've learned and we put it in the correct slot. And if we need to conjugate the verb, then we apply the rule that we know to conjugate the verb. Like, for example, in English, you add ed on the end. And so we we sort of... Well, it's called the slot and frame model. So the idea is that we have this frame where we have the spaces for those words and we put the words in the correct space. And so, again, we we apply that thinking to the way that children learn. And we think that children learn language by, by placing those words in the correct slots. But Mr. Ambridge has proposed a radically different model which is the exemplar model. And and basically it works like this. So the reason that, that he is proposing this is because he finds a couple of objections with the slot and frame model. Okay. And the first objection is that it the slot and frame model, it can tell you about when you can include a word. But it doesn't really tell you when you can't include a word. So the example that he gives is, um, is, is a grammar example. So he says here that children know that they can say that John feared Bill. And children know that they can say John frightened Bill. But they also know that they can't say John laughed Bill. Right? We need to say John laughed at Bill. Right? But... If children just had these kind of rules in their mind, this slot and frame, then then they wouldn't know that, that that was not permitted, that construction. Now, of course, when children speak, they make mistakes, but they don't make those type of mistakes. They don't make those kind of fundamental mistakes. So there must be something other than rules in their in the way that they learn. They're not learning by rules. And and he gives another example about the way that children conjugate the past tense. They know that if they see the verb miss, that they know they need to say missed. Missed. And you will not hear children say missed. Missed. And again, the rules 
can't really explain why that is. It's not because they're applying rules. There's something else going on. And, and this is how he is proposing that it works, okay? What they do is, and these are his words, they store each word with its meaning as understood in that individual situation. So, for example, they don't store the word bank relating to a place where money is. They store every single time they hear the word bank, and they also store what it means in that situation, that specific situation. So it's almost like these children have a photographic memory, but for language. They're storing everything. They're sucking every single piece of sound and sentence. They're storing it all. And then when it comes time to produce a sentence, they go back and they look at all of the similar examples of what they want to say. So if they want to say, I went to the bank, then they look at all of the other sentences that they have stored in their minds that are similar to that. And then they produce the correct sentence based on that. And that's why it's called the exemplar model, because basically they're storing these examples, which they use to produce new content. (laughs) Now, I know what you're thinking. This isn't plausible. Well, that that's what I thought when I when I read the paper. I thought this isn't plausible. Now, plausible is today's word of the day. Plausible. P-L-A-U-S-I-B-L-E. Plausible. And I'm going to give you a clue as to the origin of this word. Plausible. Okay. Okay. Do you do you hear that beautiful applause? Applause, that's right. Applause came from uh, the same root as plausible. It's about, it's about an idea that you can clap, an idea that you can say, yes, I don't know if it's true, but I like it. I can believe in it. It's something that, that I think could possibly be true. That's what it means for something to be plausible. It's something that you think could possibly be true. And in fact, Towards the end of his research paper, he has a section with objections. And the objection is, well, one of the objections, it's not plausible that we store all this information. Ah, exactly. Thank you very much. And here's the thing. He he cites some research that shows that actually humans are pretty incredible at storing huge amounts of information in a very short time. And one of the studies here, it says, uh, in 1973, a study found that participants who were shown 10,000 photographs could, two days later, categorize a randomly chosen subset of 160 as seen or unseen with an average success rate of 83%. So, So basically... It's evidence that we have an incredible capacity to absorb a huge amount of information. And we're not going to be, we're not going to be a hundred percent correct, but it's going to be more than good enough to possibly for this theory to make sense for this, for this to work, this exemplar model. Um, And so I sent, I sent an email to, to Ben 
Ambridge, the author of this study, and I asked him for an interview, and we're going to speak in September. So I'm super excited to hear more about what he has to say about this, about this and, and how plausible it is and how much evidence there is about it. Now, that sort of brings me back to, to the beginning where, where a lot of people were asking me, well, look, Christian, why are you telling us this? Because number one, it goes against what you're always telling us, which is to work hard and communicate and converse. And this passive stuff is the opposite. And the reason I'm telling you is because of this. So I want to read a quote, which is from a Cambridge book called Introducing Second Language Acquisition. And it says this, like the lenses with different colored filters used in photographing Mars, these complement one another and are all needed to gain a full spectrum picture of the multi-dimensional processes involved in second language acquisition. So basically all of these little pieces of research about child learning and passive learning and how we learn vocabulary and even more abstract things that I talk about, all of these just add little pieces to the picture of how we learn a language. They help me to understand and to, they, they help me so that I can then help you by showing what does work, what, what we think doesn't work. And, and that brings me on to the very next sentence in this, in this book. It says, even so, much remains a mystery stimulating continued research. And that's a really, really important point. Okay, we're in 2019. We've been studying linguistics for hundreds of years. You know, we have fMRI brain scans. We have a, a lot of dedicated people working in the field. But listen to that. Much remains a mystery. There's still so much we don't know about language learning. And that's why we need to remain curious. And that's why I get so upset when I see people out there selling the system to learn, to learn a language, the secret to learning a language when any professional knows that there's still so much that we don't know about learning languages. You know, common sense can guide us, obviously, again, we know that, that, you know, sitting down and studying is going to be more effective than passive learning. But there's, 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 there's nuance. There's little colored filters that, that helped us to take that great picture of Mars. And so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm always staying curious and asking questions for you guys, because I love you. <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's Daily Digest. I'm Christian. This is Kangaroo English, and I'll see you in class. <laughs>